Good morning, everyone, uh, again. And uh, just a couple of housekeeping issues uh, as we begin our, our time uh, delving into this majestic psalm in Psalm 20. Uh, a couple of housekeeping issues. The first is uh, that you would have received an email in the last few minutes uh, that has a sermon outline. Uh, it also has uh, the ESV translation of this psalm. Some of you who were holding a Holman or a NIV over the last few minutes may have noticed that there's one word in particular in this psalm that's quite different uh, in your translation uh, to the ESV, and that's the words salvation and victory. Uh, so uh, the uh, your email uh, has the translation. It also has the sermon outline for today. Uh, the other thing to say is that after the sermon uh, is an opportunity for us, uh, not verbally, uh, but in text at least, to be able to reflect or ask questions. And uh, the more of us that can share something or um, ask a question uh, for, uh, for consideration uh, would be tops. And uh, the best way to do that uh, is on the Facebook feed. Uh, or if uh, you have my phone number, uh, you can text me as well. Um, uh, but the Facebook feed uh, gives you an opportunity to ask questions and we'll see how we go with that. Uh, but the more uh, that we can share that way, uh, the more fellowship that we can have together. Uh, until uh, 1977, uh, which was the year uh, I was born, um, until 1977, the national anthem for Australia was God Save the Queen. Uh, and it wasn't until 1984 that it was officially changed over. Uh, around the world, uh, this national anthem has been sung by more people than any other, uh, given the Commonwealth and uh, the uh, uh, the breadth of the British Empire, singing God Save the King or God Save the Queen uh, is known to many people. God Save Our Gracious Queen, Our Great and Noble Queen. Um, God Save our, the Queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God Save the Queen. And in fact, in many churches around the world, that is actually sung as a prayer. Uh, because it is a prayer, uh, it expresses the desire of the people, and it's a prayer to our God uh, for our Queen, uh, which if you are uh, uh, died in the wall Anglican, uh, you will know that she, in fact, is actually uh, the head of the church visible uh, in uh, this denomination. Why am I mentioning all of this? Because as we come to this psalm, in one sense, it's actually quite easy to understand because we're given the summary verse in verse 9. Uh, but uh, unless we've got our listening ears on, we might think it's a little bit strange that that's how the psalm ends uh, rather than um, and that that's what it's been about all the way through. Uh, you'll see there in verse 9, he says, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. It's a prayer to God, a desire that God would save the king, that he would preserve the king's life from death, rescue him from destruction, from ending, from defeat, from dying, and preserve his life and peace and prosperity. It's expressing a desire. May he answer us when we call. 
And it's important as we come to a psalm like this, therefore, in fact, any psalm, in fact, any part of the Bible, that we make sure that we fill the shoes with the right people. As you had that Bible reading read from Psalm 20, perhaps you thought the psalm was talking to you or talking about you. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. As tempting as it is for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the you in the psalm, it's actually not what the psalm's about. If anything, we're the people that pray the prayer in the psalm. All the way through the word you there, uh, sorry to go English grammar on you, but uh, all the way through the word you there is singular, not plural. It's talking to one specific individual, not all of God's people. And that one specific individual is revealed later in the psalm to be God's anointed or his Messiah, his Christ, God's promised king, God's chosen king who would rule his people. The psalm expresses desires for God's king that God would save his king and that God would bring uh, uh, the prayer and the desire of the king about uh, rather than our prayers, our desires, which is a comfort in many ways, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when I think about some of the depths of my heart's desires, some of the extent of the plans that I have, how fallen they are and how at times the desires of my heart are evil and not good. Well, then it's a good thing that God doesn't grant my heart's desire. He doesn't grant all of my plans. But for the righteous, holy, perfect king, the promised Messiah or anointed ones, what the word Messiah or Christ means. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. Uh, anointed is English translation of those two words as God's promised anointed one, his king. His desires, his plans, well, who wouldn't want them to be fulfilled? Who wouldn't want them to come to fruition? We need to fill uh, the shoes of each psalm with the right people and putting us in the place of the you is not the right place to put ourselves, but to put ourselves in, in the place of the prayer of the psalm, the one who speaks the psalm to the king and to God, well, that's the right way to approach this psalm. But what is the king's desire? Verse 4, you see there, may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. What is it? What is it that he desires and longs for? As we're going to see over the next few weeks, Psalm 20, 21, 22, 23, all belong together in a little uh, uh, grouping of psalms, if you like, that reflect on life and uh, living and salvation, which is all about life. 
And so have a look with me at Psalm 21. It immediately follows on uh, from this psalm. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. In your salvation, there's that word again, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. So it's picking up on Psalm 20, verse 4, immediately in the next psalm. But what is it? What is it that the king desires? What is it that he longed for? You see it there in 21, verse 4. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. Have you ever wondered or stopped and paused to think about what the word salvation means? It's the word that is the heartbeat of the gospel. Jesus died to save us. It's in fact, it's what his name means. Yahweh saves. What is it though that salvation actually is? When you save someone, you save them from death and you save them for life, from death for life. When we think of the Westpac rescue helicopters, when we think of the search and rescue teams, when we think of those who fight fires around our city and through our state and country, what is it that they do? When a doctor saves someone, What is it that they do? They rescue from death and they rescue for life. Salvation is all about life and in particular, life from death. And the expression of this psalm in Psalm 20 is all about life, all about salvation. It's a desire that the king would be saved that God would preserve his life, that he might live. Verse 9, O Lord, save the king. But all the way through the psalm, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May he protect you, send you help and support. Verse 2, remember who you are and grant your heart's desire. Verse 3 and 4, which we learn in Psalm 21, is desire for life and salvation. Again, verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation. That is your salvation, O King. And in the name of God, set up our banners. Verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, saves his King, his Messiah. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. While some trust in chariots and horses, we're going to trust in God to save this King. God, save the king. When we understand that this psalm is filled, uh, when we put the right people in the right pairs of shoes in this psalm, it's about the king's salvation, the Messiah, the Christ's salvation. As I say, we sing it, well, perhaps we may have sung it, Uh, all the time uh, in our childhood or uh, upbringing and we know it uh, from anthems and perhaps we'll hear God save the Queen quite a few times in the course of the next two weeks with the Olympics. Uh, But uh, the idea that Jesus might be saved, if he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, 
God's anointed king. Well, that's not so familiar language, is it? The idea that God would save Jesus. We're very used to talking about Jesus saving us, but that God would save Jesus. But when we stop and think about it, it entirely makes sense, doesn't it? In chatting with Dan about songs for this week, uh, I kind of knew what the answer would be, but uh, I put it on him anyway because he knows music far better than I do. I said, try and choose a song or two that might talk about Jesus being saved rather than us being saved. And it's very hard to do because we don't sing like that. We don't talk like that. But Jesus was saved. He was saved by his father. And we actually heard it in our reading from Acts, didn't we? God, quoting Psalm 16, uh, God didn't let his Holy One be abandoned to the grave or uh, abandoned um, in death forever, but rather he resurrected him. He gave him life again from death. Jesus was saved by his father. Jesus, as king, experienced salvation. And that's important. In fact, it's crucial to our understanding of the gospel. It's crucial because without Jesus' salvation, Jesus' life from death, well, then we have no life from death. We have no salvation. Because the understanding of kings throughout the scriptures is that the king is representative. The king fights on behalf of his people. You see it perhaps most clearly uh, in the David and Goliath story. Goliath stands forward in front of the Philistines and demands someone to fight on behalf of Israel. Saul, who is king at the time, refuses to do so. He refuses to act as king, to go before the people, to fight on their behalf. But David, who is the king in secret, uh, the king uh, anointed by Samuel but not known by anybody uh, that he is king, he's the one who goes ahead of Israel and fights on behalf of Israel. In the victory of the king comes the victory of the people. In the victory and salvation of the king, then the people are saved. And we see that play out in the David and Goliath story. The king is the one who leads into battle. The king is the one who fights on behalf of his people. The king is the one who in his life comes the life of the people. In his preservation is the preservation of the people. In his salvation is the salvation for his people. In other words, the uh, the future of the people depends on the future of the king. Jesus died but was not abandoned to death. He rose again from the dead. And these psalms will speak about eternal life and resurrection life and the joy and peace of eternal life over the next few weeks. But our participation in those things comes from the king because he represents his people. What the king experiences, 
we experience. And so right through the New Testament, we hear that language, don't we? The language of being buried with him in death, that we might rise again with him, that if we are in Christ, we have died, the old self is gone, and we are made alive again in him. Our life is hidden in his life, that what he experienced, first suffering, then glory, we experience in him first suffering, then glory. Our future, our salvation depends on his. No wonder then the psalmist prays for the king. No wonder then the psalmist desires the king's salvation because in the king's life is his life. And so the desire of this psalm is that God will not so much answer our prayers but the king's prayers, grant his desires, fulfill his plans, save him. Because in what happens to him, that's what will happen to us. And so we rejoice in what God does with his king. Because what God does with his king, he will do for the king's people. But, of course, we stand on the other side, don't we? You see all the way through the psalm the expression of desire, of a future fulfilment. May the Lord answer you. May the name. May he send. May he give. May he grant. May he fulfil. May we shout for joy. There's the change of tone at verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. Presumably there was some uh, interlude, some instrumental part between verses 5 and 6, perhaps a key change for those who love their key changes, and uh, uh, there's a bit of a pause. What was expressed as desire, verses 1 to 5, all of a sudden becomes a, a certainty, a knowledge in verse 6. Perhaps uh, in, in terms of the original situation, reflecting on an event where something happened, there was uncertainty, but now there's resolution. The conflict has been resolved. The battle has been won. The king lives. God saves his anointed. But, of course, we have a more certain word, not that Psalm 20 was uncertain, but a more certain word in the New Testament because we've seen the fulfilment of these things. We've seen a king who died, son of David, Christ, Messiah, anointed, who died but rose again, rose again as fulfilment of these promises, as the answer to the prayers of the people, as answer to the king's own prayer, as we will see next week. And in that resurrection is not just the fulfilment of God's promises, but it's the assurance for God's people that if God saves his king, he will save the king's people. If God saves the king, he will save the king's people. And in that, there is assurance. An assurance that doesn't depend on me, doesn't depend on my righteousness, doesn't depend on my effort, 
my works, my will, my intentions, but depends entirely on God, on God and his king. Not only is Jesus' resurrection the fulfilment of these prayers, of these hopes, but it's the assurance, an assurance that gives hope, not an uncertain hope, but a certain hope, that if God saved his king, he will save you and me also. Brothers and sisters, it's so easy to look down, to look at our own situation, to consider our own fragility, our mortality, our frailty, our messed up nature. It's so easy to consider all the problems that are before us. But we have a king, a king whom God saved. And in that, there is assurance and hope that we will be saved. Not saved from death that we might continue this present life, but saved from death that we might have a resurrection life. No more struggling against sin, the world and the devil. No more struggling against that inner turmoil. No more struggling with that which makes for tears and mourning and crying and pain. But rather the salvation that comes that will bring us with our king into the new creation. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe these things? He asked. Brothers and sisters, do you believe these things? Put your trust in our King. Desire, long for the life that God has given him because in his salvation is our salvation. Let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we do pray and we do thank you that you saved your king. You answered his heart's desire. You gave him life. And we rejoice that in his life is our life. In his salvation is our salvation. Father, so fill us with a vision of the life that you have given the Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection life, that we might be filled with assurance and hope, an assurance that as you save your king, so you save the king's people. And please, Father, may that hope shape our present to lift our eyes, strengthen our feeble knees and weak legs, to gaze upon his glory and so live this life in hope, in joy, in perseverance and with great comfort 
Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, friends, uh, 